0: We turn to Matthew's Gospel to a place where Jesus is speaking to His disciples. And a lot's been going on, and this, what we're about to read is what's often called by scholars a hinge text. The entire Gospel hinges on this particular text that we're about to read as their ministry shifts towards Jerusalem. This is Matthew's account. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're you're a stumbling block for me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? This is the word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. This is not a reading that we would expect to hear during Advent as we prepare ourselves for what is to happen this week. And yet within it there is wisdom to be shared, there are things to know, in it there is a great image of the Messiah we get. Bless us with that word today as we talk about it, by your Holy Spirit be part of this conversation that we might walk out a refreshed and renewed people. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So I often get the question from you of how in the world I memorize my sermons week to week, and the answer is sometimes I don't. Sometimes it doesn't quite get there. But this Advent, we've been looking at the Messiah we get versus the Messiah we want. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about what a Messiah is, when the word comes across my brain, I often tend to think of it in terms of like superhero stuff, you know, like someone with superpowers a super person or something like that. I think we all do to some degree. We really can't help it actually. We hear phrases like wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and it sounds a little bit like faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. That's the Messiah I think we concoct in our heads because at the end of the day, that's the Messiah we want a super person. And it's not wrong to think that. It's it's not to say that Jesus isn't a super person, but He's not exactly the Messiah we want, more so as He is the Messiah we get. He's not so much all of that in the way that we tend to think. Instead of a flawless physician, we get what looks more like a wounded healer. Instead of a mighty warrior, we get a dying savior. Instead of a royal king, we get a servant ruler. As Richard Rohr puts it, Jesus is the great great coincidence of opposites. And we don't really know what to do with that. We don't know how to think about it. It just leaves us somewhat swimming. The Messiah we get, the disciples. Don't know what to do with it either in our reading today. In fact, they're starting to get frustrated. They don't really like it. They were liking it. You read Matthew's story up until now, they were liking it. I mean, up until this point, everything was going just fine. Jesus was performing miracles and teaching and and everything. Life was good. Right before the part we just read, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And they bust out with, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Peter jumps up and says, you're the Messiah, the one we want. He doesn't say those words specifically, but you know that's what he means. It's right there with him. You're the one we want. It was all good. But then Jesus had to go and mess all that up by talking about how he must undergo great suffering. So it's understandable why Peter jumps up immediately and says, no, that's not the deal. This can't happen to you. That can't be the deal, can it? That's not what being a Messiah means, does it? After all, dying and and Savior simply can't go together, can they? Life and death are opposites, aren't they? Doesn't help matters much when Jesus goes on to talk about how they must take up their own cross and how anyone who wants to save their life must lose it, and those who lose their life will find it. He's talking in paradoxes, of course, which is all well and good as long as he's talking about someone else, right? It's fun when it's someone else. But that's the problem, isn't it? This all hits too close to home. When he's talking like this, Jesus isn't talking about other people, he's talking about us, you and me. Anyone who wants to save their life must lose it. Anyone who who loses their life will find it. What does he mean here? What's he talking about? Well, I'll tell you, or I'll try. I'll start by saying that Jesus is not trying to give us a homework assignment. He's not trying to pass along something to add to our be a good Christian to-do list. He's not offering us something to do in life. He's offering us life itself. And life involves complexities, paradoxes, Life involves both the ups and the downs, the yin and the yang, the good and the bad, the births and the deaths, the, the deaths, the manger, and the cross. Jesus is inviting us to embrace that life in all its unknowns and then to learn from the life we embrace. That's what he's doing. Spiritual writer Park, Parker Palmer, say that ten times. Parker Palmer talks about how life as it is is enough to break our hearts. Boy, we get that one. Life as it is is enough to break our hearts. But he goes on to say the heart can break in two quite different ways. There's the brittle heart, the one that breaks into shards, shattering the one who suffers as it explodes, the brittle heart. But there's also the supple heart, he says, the one that breaks open, not a part, the one that can grow into a greater capacity to love. Only the supple heart can hold suffering in a way that opens itself up to new life. That's what Jesus is talking about. When he talks about how if you want to save your life, you must lose it, or when you lose your life, you'll find it, that's what he's talking about. He's inviting the disciples to grow a supple heart, a heart that breaks open rather than breaking apart. He's inviting us to stop looking at life and death as an either or and start looking at them as as a both and. He's He's inviting us to grow a supple heart. So how do we do that? How do we grow a supple heart? Well, the answer is obvious, practice. Practice is the key. It's always the key, practice. That word that sometimes I can't stand, practice. As Palmer puts it, the answer is to exercise my heart by stretching it. The way a runner stretches their muscles before they run so they don't get injured. My my heart, he says, is stretched every time I'm able to take in life's little fears, life's little deaths. Like a friendship gone sour. Or critique from someone else. Or when I fail a task that's deeply important to me stretches my heart if I take it in. I can also, he says, exercise my heart by taking in life's little joys. A small kindness from a stranger, the the sound of a train in the distance that reminds me of childhood, the giggle of a baby. Taking all of it in, the good and the bad alike, is a form of exercise practice that slowly transforms my clenched fist of a heart into an open hand. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. Lose your life so that you might gain it. In other words, embrace life's little fears. The more you can do that, the more you can embrace the little fears you face each day, the more you will be able to open up your heart to the life that Jesus is talking about, the life that really is life. So I have a story to share with you, and I have to start it off by saying that I've been given permission to share this story. I promised my daughters that I wouldn't tell stories about them, but this one's too good to pass up. I need to first say that they are deathly afraid of wasps. Join the club, right? I mean, we can all raise our hand to that one. But their level of fear is, well, it's in another dimension. I mean, they have a, a run-out-of-the-country-without-looking-back away kind of fear of wasps. And earlier this week I get this text in all capital letters. I was up at here at church and Denise was at work and the kids had just gotten home from school and I get this text. There is a wasp flying around the house with about fifty exclamation marks and a scared emoji and the tear emoji and the and all of it. And so I call them, you know. How's it going? We're, we're all right. We're okay. We're okay. We're in the guest bathroom and we've stuffed a towel under the door so that the wasp can't find us. <laughs> what should we do, Dad? Well, you're going to have to get a fly swatter and go out there and kill it. To which I got dead silence on the other end of the line. And so I thought then this quivering voice, can you come home? <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, I've, we've got Christmas Eve, sir, we're, we've got all these services we're trying to, I have to get this done. I can't. I mean, normally I might could run home, I can't. We have to finish. It's always down to the wire. It's Christmas. I can't. It'll be about an hour and a half. Well, what do we do? We've got to study. Well, why don't you make a run for it (laughs) up to your sister's room and you can study there. Stuff the towel under Just make a run for it. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe we can try that. And I hear whispering in the background and what sounds like consensus. And then I hear the door open and these steps, you know, and then a blood-curdling scream followed by where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Let me in. (laughs) Did you make it? Not quite. Well, where are you? We're back in the guest bathroom. (laughs) And there they stayed. I did get a text later that say they tried to maneuver again and made it. But what just happened there? What just happened as I told that story? What happened? I'm going to tell you. We took a story about fear. A little one. And we turned it into a story that brings joy. We all understand that, and that's why we laugh. We took a story about fear, and we turned it into a story that embraces our fear, that opens up our heart to it. Laughter can do that. Laughter helps us take in our little fears and turn them into something else, something more Laughter helps us grow a supple heart. And the more we can practice doing that with the little things, the little fears, the little deaths that are part of life, the more we are able to face the little fears together, the more we will be able to face the big fears together too by embracing life rather than running from it. Life is the tension that we feel between the manger and the cross. It is the very life that a dying Savior can offer us. We can either run from it or embrace it, share it. I hope you choose to embrace it today. The life that really is life. The only life worth living. Practice growing a supple heart. Amen.